0: Hi, this is Hannah Fitzgibbon and you're listening to the Get Messy Podcast get messy and show the world you grow in as an artist, and you're free to be yourself. You got a dream, you need to start it. Stick together. Get messy, says you're formally invited to a community where you can find people that spark the feel of excitement. Too many art supplies, not enough time. Know it's tougher, so you must find a way to feel some connection. You got a lot of people with the same kind. A great mind, we here for you. A platform so we can hear your views. Time's yours, forget chores. I know you border them same rules.
1: Oh, oh, messy artist, I have a treat for you this week on the podcast. Today I spoke with Hannah Fitzgibbon and let me tell you, I feel like my whole world has been changed. My creativity has been rocked. Everything, everything. You're going to love Hannah as much as I love her because she is amazing and articulate and wise and The stuff that we spoke about today Has revolutionized everything I know about creativity I have been, I mean all I've been doing for the past six years is Creating, listening to people talk about creating Listening to people's views on creating Helping others create, helping myself create more And this is the first time that There has been someone to speak about creativity in this way. In our episode, we talk about finding joy and flow in your creativity, as you can tell by the title, but there's just so much more to it. There are so many depths to this conversation and we speak about a lot and we cover a lot and a lot of new ideas or different ways of thinking but I hope that you spend time meditating on each point. So play us, listen to us while you're creating. But then also write down Hannah's words and and spend some time reflecting on the way she sees things, the way she can help you see things with your creativity, with the way you come to your art journal or your canvas or your Guitar, I don't know what type of creating you do, but I know that Hannah's gonna be great for it. Hannah is an amazing, amazing human. I have a massive crush on her. You will hear it clearly throughout this episode. But I think that if you take her words and her knowledge and and really learn from her, you can you know kind of via hearing osmosis you can be as awesome hannah fitzgibbon left her corporate job to reconnect with her creativity and her goal is to help people like you you listening to this podcast people just like you develop and trust your creativity in order to find more joy and more flow in work that you love I promise you, you're going to want to find out more about Hannah. Uh, You can do that by checking out her blog at hannahfitsgiven.com. You can also see shots there from her visual diaries, from comparisons on her artist journey. And something cool that Hannah does that you're going to love is she offers free breakthrough clarity sessions with creators who feel stuck. Uh, these sessions, they're a great way to gain some clarity, get an outside perspective on your creative process. Um, and if, you, if you're if you interested, you can just reach out to her via socials, via her website, whatever. Just let her know that Kaylee sent you, because I'm going to be singing Hannah's praises forever. I feel like she has, even just interviewing her, has given me clarity, given me a breakthrough with my creativity I didn't even feel stuck I felt completely solid in my creativity Hannah came and bam okay and now I'm just making a lot of ado Uh, and without doing any further ado here is Hannah on the Get Messy Podcast. Hannah welcome to the Get Messy Podcast.
0: Hi Kaylee, I'm so excited to be here. I'm a huge creative nerd and I love talking creativity with anyone else who's on my wavelength.
1: <laughs> oh, man, let's nerd out together. It's going to be great. <laughs> Yay! So excited. Yeah, could you tell us a bit about who you are and how you kind of got to where you are?
0: Sure. I am a recovering creative. I used to dream of having the most wildly creative life. I was just going to have so much color and glamour in my life. It was crazy. And I believed nothing could stop me. And then I got to senior year of school and faced with like real world choices. I was suddenly like, "Is creativity enough. Is this a real career? Maybe I should get a fallback. You know, all those things that creep into your brain as soon as reality is there. And I made this compromise if I can study graphic design, then I have my creativity, but I also have, you know, some it's really practical. It's communication. It's used on products. This is a way to get paid for my creativity. It's not as risky as being an artist. So I went down that route and it did not pay off. <laughs> <laughs> I graduated like just after the, um, the, like the, the economic crisis the global financial crisis and no one told me that that impacts the amount of creative (laughs) careers around I just sort of thought there was something wrong with me so I went to retail and finance and was like well that was a risk that didn't pay off I guess I'm not that person and I totally denied my creativity for years and then had all this kind of struggle as a result because I had no outlet like like I had no language anymore. And so after I had my baby, I started thinking, you know, what's next? I'm not going to stay in this finance job for ever and a day. I want to do something. And I kept coming back to creativity and also human development and how we grow and how we learn, because that was always the only good bit of sort of that corporate retail finance world was the training days when you got to learn stuff and use colored markers on big (laughs) sheets of paper and have a play with people I hadn't met before. And I thought that's something here. And that, I guess, is the pivot I made. I went back to work for about six months at the bank after my daughter was one. And then I left there last year and have been on this wildly creative journey of being a creative coach, following my curiosity and now I consider myself a little bit of a curator of ideas.
1: Oh, I love it. Oh my word. A curator of ideas. Tell me more about that.
0: So one thing that really did stick with me from art school was uh, a terribly boring art history class like lecture one of those ones where you're in the hall and the more interesting thing is the animation student in front of you drawing like robots in their book and my teacher said one thing that really stuck with me she had this picture of a woman like washing clothes on a washerboard, like Snow White you know and then she said this picture what does it mean and we couldn't really answer her And she put it next to a guy and a cowboy, like a guy, a cowboy on a horse and another person milking a cow. And she said, now this is a commentary on colonialism and what it was like to live in that time. And then she took that same picture of the woman with the washerboard and she put it next to like that power girl with the bandana from the 1940s and then like Victoria Beckham in a suit or something. And she said, now it's a commentary on feminism over the last decade. And by shifting the context that the same picture was in, it told a completely different story and drew your attention to a completely different thing. So I understood a lot better what a curator does and the importance of putting ideas in the context of other ideas that are going to amplify that message. And so I take creativity research and I put it next to management and productivity ideas or I put it next to you know personal development stuff or neuroscience and and this gives it a new story it elevates it
1: wow wow okay I'm yeah I'm so excited to talk to you (laughs) what an intro oh my goodness so tell me Anna then what do you what do you see creativity as
0: To me, I really like the scientific definition of creativity. So when they study creativity, they look for two elements that make it fit. And that is that it must be new or original. So novel is one of the elements. Now, that doesn't mean perfectly original, never been seen before. That is often standing on the shoulders of existing knowledge and building it into something new, so mashups of different concepts, things like that that create a new version rather than brand new. And the other element is that it must be useful. So it needs to be applied in a way that is useful to others or useful to yourself. And when we tick those two boxes, we're being creative.
1: Okay, what is useful? Explain more to me What about what could be useful because sometimes I just make things just because they're pretty
0: Yeah, but that is also useful, right? Mm -hmm. You're practicing the way you see things, you're communicating a feeling or you're spending some time relaxing and you're practicing your skill and moving towards something. So that wouldn't necessarily be creative in the strictest sense of the term, but it's moving towards what will become your full creative thing. Mm. Like, create your existing creativity is built of your semantic knowledge. So, stuff that you know, stuff that you've read from books or learned in classes, and your experience and your skills. And so, by doing creative play that is somewhat not necessarily useful for others, it's useful for you in growing your skills. Mm you know you always learn something from a creative play I bet there's never a time that you haven't gone this is really pretty and now I know how those elements combine when I use them that way that makes it useful
1: yeah so do you think that there is like an end goal then if you're building your skills what are you building it for
0: it's not like you only have one creative peak and then it's done usually if it's an internal use it's to explore emotion or to process this idea that I had or to maintain my habit, you're showing up for a reason, right? That is the use that it serves. Mm -hmm. When it's for others, it needs to be useful and applicable for them. So, for example, a two-year-old scribbling with pens isn't necessarily useful for anyone other than the parents who are like, look at you go. (laughs) And so that technically isn't creative, it's exploratory. Ah. Whereas if I'm driving to work and there's a roadblock on my usual route and I have to think of a new route to get to work, that's creativity. I'm applying a new, new route. It doesn't mean that no one's ever driven that way before, but it's solving my problem, right? And if your problem is a blank page, then you have found a useful way to fill it. (laughs)
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think that is my number one problem in life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think yeah. they're
0: mutually exclusive. Like outcome isn't always the thing. Like creative Ooh. play, you might never hang your pages of your journal on a gallery wall, um, although a collection of that could be really interesting as well.
1: But yeah, there's a there's a get be. messy artist um, Ashley Rogers. She had a full gallery show with her journal pages and was amazing.
0: Yes, awesome. I've seen shows like that before where artists have just their sketchbook sketching, and it's nice to see the process that goes into bigger pieces too. Like mm. their scribbles and their thought process. That's almost. I think the journey is often more fascinating than the art, than the result. You know.
1: Yeah, I've, I know. Like with my with my journals, if I page through them, I feel like by themselves, each page isn't necessarily spectacular or anything. But looking through them and going through them as a whole and seeing that like whole journey that I've been on and um, yeah. a physical manifestation of my hard work and a physical manifestation of the uncomfortable and showing up every day—that is what yeah. I find like impressive.
0: Yeah. That's fascinating. It's so interesting. And just I think one of the key elements of creativity in the search for something new is the transformation. Mm -hmm. And so when we start somewhere and we see progress to somewhere else, that transformation is so interesting to us. That's so novel and it tells a story of its own, whereas one piece on its own it doesn't often carry that that context or that the transition that changes us. This is one of the ways I teach like how to have good ideas. There's this uh graphic designer and he came up with this list called the rooks list. His name is Rooks (laughs) and it's basically a list of verbs that force some sort of change or progression from one idea to another. And it's a really simple way of going, I have this thing, this starting point, and I want to make it interesting. I want to communicate something and it animates it. So if we take a watermelon and that's our starting point and we use one of the verbs like combine and Mm -hmm. we combine it with other tropical fruit maybe, suddenly we have a cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) Or if we combine it, maybe – with a cloud and we think hmm where's the similarities where's the differences what if I use watermelon colors to paint a sunset or we start to have these random ideas in the transition in the change Mm -hmm. or maybe we go maybe I don't want to combine it maybe I want to um, personify it what does a watermelon slice look like to me maybe a smile Maybe I could have some little watermelon seed teeth and a purple rind lipstick and <laughs> like, who knows, but I'm making this up as I go a little bit, but by applying some movement to an original concept, it can often uh, spark tons of other ideas that we didn't think of or change our perspective to how we see that first sta- static thing and I think your journal kind of does that naturally by putting multiple things together it creates some sort of movement propulsion
1: mm. Mm. oh I think that you're very good at putting into words what I feel inside but you just like <laughs> so articulate and so wise <laughs> oh, thanks. So we've spoken about what creativity is. Tell me, Hannah, what what is creativity not?
0: What is creativity not? Creativity is not automated sequences of yes and no's. Hmm. Creativity is not following instructions. Creativity is not necessarily repeatable over and over and over again in exactly the same way and it's human creativity is so human Mm. everything else is scaffolding it's helpful but it's not it's not what what we're here for (laughs)
1: yeah yeah tell me how you are not a typical artist
0: how I'm not a typical artist. I love mm. this
1: question because I think we've all got this like solid idea in our head. You know, artists sit in their studios the whole day. They're covered in paint. Ugh. They all they do is create. They don't eat. They don't go to the loo. <laughs> like, yeah. So tell me how you are away from that They're
0: Eternally inspired, aren't they? Oh yes. The artists we mm-hmm. have in our mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The they basically being...
1: vomit paint onto the page. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. How am I not a typical artist? I usually start, but I read a lot more than I create. I consume a lot more than I create. I create for experimentation and to enhance my own learning, not for anyone else. I don't sell my work. I don't create habitually in that I don't show up every day for it anymore, but... I paint I'm an artist I would say I'm more curious than an artist I'm not restricted to any one medium I'm not restricted to any one form of communication I'm informed by many and that is what makes it interesting to me
1: it's not for
0: the label of being an artist
1: I think you also have a a Beautiful way of being analytic about this And I think that You know, we think that artists are just people Who are like airy-fairy, pie in the sky You know, that's why I thought I could never be an artist Is because I am quite I don't know it, This might be the wrong word, but like realistic
0: mm, Yeah This is a myth I have to bust This idea that I am smart And therefore I'm throwing it away To pursue art That will waste yes. my intellect There's this Um, belief that people are afraid that they can't they don't think they can have both and that it isn't in some way a disservice or a waste to their intellect if they pursue their creativity which is uh, so incredibly horrible Mm. like it breaks my heart because you can be both like (sighs) my intellect informs my work and my work is better because of my intellect and I I sort of needed this. It was one of the things that I struggled with most in design school was there was so much assumed knowledge and and most of it was in the aesthetic. And I needed a language for that and I hadn't learned a language. And so they would give me feedback because we were always marked on the aesthetic, but we weren't taught it. We were taught how to use the programs, how to use mm-hmm. Photoshop, how to use InDesign, how to um, write an essay about the Bauhaus movement. Like we were not taught how to see art and how to see composition, at least in, in my graphic design school. And so I ended up moving to America and going to school as an exchange student. And I did a whole year of creative writing and I loved the language. I could suddenly understand that graphic design could also be described in pace and colour and character and tone and things that you could look at in sentence structure that had a a language for these rules that I hadn't learned. And my design improved so much just by being able to see it through that lens. And I think from that learning is why I'm always trying to deconstruct artistic Mm -hmm. concepts and come up with, a way to explain them so that I can understand, so that I can be methodical a little bit about how I'm going because I, I distrust my intuition quite a lot. I I know enough to know that my first idea is not always my best idea even though it feels really good. Our first idea comes with a lot of confidence because our brain doesn't want to work harder. <laughs> so it's like, trust me, this, one, this one's good enough. Just go with it. And and I'm I'm learning to slow that process down and go, well, maybe it is good enough. But why don't we just try and look at it a couple of different ways? We can always come back to this first idea. And oh my God, my ideas are so much better. I
1: (laughs) I love that. I think, yeah, because we're taught that, you know, artists are gifted with their art. They're talented. They're born with it. That's like, this is the artsy person and this is not. So I love that idea that you can take who you are as a person and you can be an artist with that, not, um, besides that. Yeah. Yeah. You take your, you take your own superpowers and then you just like amplify them with art rather than hide them.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's what makes your art interesting. That's what gives Um, your art a voice and a perspective.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, You know, we're the only person who's able to make art the way that we make art. yeah. And so it's up to us to explore that avenue because no one else is going to do it. And you are literally the only human in the world who's got your background, who's got your preferences, who's got, I don't know, the techniques that you're drawn to and all of that. And if you can apply it to hard work and apply it to some like basic principles, then you can make absolute magic.
0: yeah. Yeah, everyone is creative, everyone.
1: Yeah. Tell me more about the those design principles that you were speaking about. If you are not the type of person to go to art school or you can't go to art school, how would you explore them yourself?
0: Yeah, oh my goodness. I've been learning so much from just like $10 Domestika courses online. Fine. They're amazing. And because they're like, five minute increments like so you might do a whole course on watercolor portraits (laughs) and that course will have a tons of little five or ten minute sections and often so I started doing a ton of illustration ones well not a ton two two (laughs) I did two illustration ones because they had such amazing descriptions of composition and Mm. Like my most recent sketchbook, I have it here. I can grab some of that information for you. <laughs> yeah, with me, one moment caller. <laughs> my sketchbooks are filled with all sorts of random things. Because I use art as a way to learn, it's never um, – it's where I note take as
1: well. Oh, I love that. So I've always wanted to do that and I just <laughs> – I can send you some pictures of these, but Please. as an example –
0: This is um, a composition page on visual weight. So it talks about how when we have figures in on our page that we're telling a story based on which one we give the most um, weight to. So our attention is naturally drawn to them. And then we look at them in relation to everything else. And we can make, we can give things more weight or more presence or more importance by making them bigger or by positioning them in, in different parts of the page or by singling them out. If there's a group, a crowd here and one person here, it's like they're on a stage. Or we can use different texture to um, draw their attention to them or contrast or colour or shape. And a simple thing like that can add so much more purpose to your work. So if we go back to the watermelon example and we've decided that we want to compare watermelon, we want to tell the story that watermelon is the best tropical fruit, what could we do to give that importance to the watermelon? So maybe we might have a whole group of Uh, tropical fruit in a fruit bowl and we might have watermelon over here on his own sun lounger (laughs) and suddenly he's like groovy chilled out fruit and all the other ones are like over here in this little fruit bowl bunched together conforming (laughs) and we you know so we can use these compositional tools as uh just a little bit of pre-thought before we put pen to paper to go what am I actually trying to say here and mm. what tool is going to help me to say this best so that it, it's understood by someone else or so it moves someone else? Oh, that's good.
1: That's good. I like the idea of like, as someone who's very analytical and logical, I like that idea of planning a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't have to throw your whole sway off. And mm. abstract art still uses these rules. still has composition, you know, and there'll be negative space and busyness, or it's still trying to communicate something, even if that something is really conceptual. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't even matter if you're just splattering paint on a page, you might pay attention to the colors you're choosing. You know, if you really want your splattered paint to be representative of your maybe serenity or you're just having a play and there's nothing like really dramatic, you might use some pale blues and greens and, and maybe a pop of purple and that will communicate that message maybe better than an orange, Mm. you know? So I think that with just one or two questions before you start, it can give your work so much more direction and so much more purpose, which makes it more interesting,
1: Mm.
0: even if the technique is exactly the same when you apply it.
1: Yeah. And it also, I mean, I always tell the, like, phrase, you just have to make, like, a shit ton of art in order to figure out what you like. But this idea is that you can just, like, if you put in the work with learning and stuff, you could easily make beautiful things.
0: Yeah, of course. A tiny little shift can really elevate your p- piece. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to tell that story that watermelon's the best tropical fruit, you could do that in so many ways. But your instinct, if you're a very beginner and you've never really played with this concept before, is to draw a, mid- a watermelon in the middle of your page. Mm-hmm. That then that's normal. And you would do that again and again until you got bored of it. And then you'd start to experiment and then it, by looking at where you started and where you got to, you'd, you'd see the learning. But you can shortcut that by, remember we said new doesn't mean completely original. You can Mm. shortcut that that by copying, by studying, by being mentored, by learning from other people who've already done that part of the journey. Mm. And then that's where your voice gets to come through because you're not spending all this time learning the basics the long way. Yeah. No, it's, it's
1: like a hack. Yeah, hack. <laughs> <Autistack. laughs> I love it. Um, in our emails, we were talking about flow and joy. Yeah, I love that combination. So tell me more about why you love talking about it.
0: Yeah, I think flow and joy are natural byproducts of. Art and creativity. It's one of the reasons why most of us are drawn to it in the first place. We feel it almost even just by looking at a piece of art, right? Oh, it's pretty. And suddenly my brain is rewarding me for looking at beautiful things. <laughs> but we make it so hard. And when we start getting in our own head and judging, that we're not feeling flow, especially when we're learning something new or when we're showing up for our 50th day in a row for our habit. And we just really actually don't have an idea today. And our child woke up three times last night and I'm exhausted. And why am I not feeling flow and joy? This is creative, it's supposed to be great. Right. And we slip into this judgment. I'm not, I'm not feeling joy because I'm not good. Mm. If I was good, real artists feel joy all the time. They, are always in flow. You know, I just, I'm not good enough yet, but that is the very thing that's stopping the joy and the flow. So flow, I guess the, the building box of flow is important to understand. Part of it is that you need to have a challenge, the right level of challenge, too little, and it's boring Mm -hmm. too much. And you'll get frustrated and give up. So assessing what level of challenge you're exploring and making sure that, hey, there is some challenge there and that that it's not too hard. It's a little bit of a stretch. And the other element is using implicit memory. So the easiest way to understand this is imagine you're talking to a kid who's fluent in another language. He's prattling off French to you and <laughs> you're like, man, the kid just, he's not even thinking, he's just. <laughs> and and then you have been learning French for, like, a month. And you're like, bonjour. <laughs> What's that word again? The next one that I say. Oh, and you really think really hard about it. And then finally you can put together, like, my name is. <laughs> and, but it's a lot more work, right? So the difference is you're using uh, external memory like your scratch pad memory which is the, the memory we hold information short term in we're converting those memories into um, long-term memories our brain is wondering do I need to put the energy in to keep this are you using this again I don't know <laughs> as opposed to that kid who has built it into his implicit memory so he doesn't consciously think about it at all it just comes out mm. and the only thing that Takes something from long-term memory and puts it in implicit memory is a lot of practice. Mm. So you can start to see flow when you recognise what you already have in your implicit memory. So, for example, most of us, us artists, can hold a pencil. That's something we don't have to think about.
1: Most of us. Um, <laughs> most of us.
0: <laughs> uh, or we can hold a paintbrush, and that's a pretty easy transfer. Um, most of us can choose some colors pretty easily. So the more you can do without thinking, almost like improvisation, the more flow you'll access. And the more often you practice, the more things you'll have in your implicit memory to draw on. Mm. And when we are doing that, our brain rewards us so much because it doesn't have to work very hard. It's like, yes, you're drawing from the easy draw. (laughs) Do that more. So we get all these happy chemicals. (laughs) And that's why we feel flow or oh, we don't have to think about it our conscious brain is turned way down and uh, and we're just kind of rolling with it we're improvising what's coming out it feels really good because it's really low energy uh, for our brain not energy for our body necessarily mm. so joy comes into this because as a byproduct of using of dropping into flow we feel joy but the confusion for many artists I find is that they don't feel joy during the process And then they think there's something wrong with it. Mm. Most of us, when we're in flow, we kind of have no memory of it or very little memory. But then we finish it and we go, where did all that time go? And then we feel stoked. Like often the joy with creativity comes when you've just finished. It doesn't come during. So if you're Mm. not feeling joy while you're actually doing the work of the creating, you're normal. (laughs)
1: so is it kind of like exercise then physical exercise yeah
0: yeah you know how we feel it afterward, but if you're in the middle of a workout and you're like why do I hate this I'm obviously not built for exercising but you are and then you finish it you're like I feel great I'm gonna get smoothie yeah totally it's exactly like that it's it's work to create we have to think we have to apply our skills there's a lot going on there's a lot of learning and a and a lot of brain power even if on the surface it doesn't look like that and so we get huge rewards after that because our brain's like yeah that was great it doesn't necessarily feel like that during the creative process
1: yeah so then how do we how do we find it how do we find flow how do we find joy
0: Well, a big part of it is not judging the process, Mm. not comparing yourself to others, not judging yourself as good enough or not good enough, just showing up, creating the habit. That's where your journaling stuff is so good Mm. because there's no expectation. It's like play, learn to play, build your implicit skills. You are on your way to flow if you're not there already because Mm. we're simplifying it. We're taking away these high stakes of, I bought a hundred dollar canvas, and I don't even want to tell you how much my brushes and paint cost. and now I've got to paint this, and I get one shot because I'm not buying another practice canvas. Like those stakes are too high to be able to drop into flow easily if you don't already have the skills and the practice to do that, right? Oh. So, yeah, lower the stakes. Do you get like that? Mm-hmm. Experiment. Lower the and, stakes. Yeah. Then you're going to build your implicit memory, your skills, and you're not going to judge so much in the process. And there comes a time when we do have to judge our work. We have to evaluate Mm. and say, what did I learn here? What do I want to keep? What do I want to try again? What do I not want to do again? Um, But that's a very specific piece and it shouldn't happen during creating. It should happen maybe not even after every creation it might be a reflection we do weekly or monthly or at the end of our sketchbook or it might be something we do more often if we've got a deliberate thing we're moving towards but it's very important at that point to be like okay I'm putting on my judge hat my editing (laughs) hat I'm, I'm now I'm looking at this through objective eyes and I'm judging the work I'm not judging myself it you know when you judge the work it doesn't mean anything about you as an artist doesn't mean if you've made it or if you're not good enough or if you're good enough it just means that there's things you can learn about to improve your work in future or to make it easier or to make it more interesting or to grow to that next um curiosity and that is the only time you should judge and then you take your hat off and you put your creative hat on and you drop back into that other part yeah Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: I like that idea of, of of reflecting back on our art and being objective about it and like you say, judging the piece and judging the work and not judging yourself. Because yeah. I was gonna ask you what practical ways you could do it. But I think if you if you move your own language away from oh you're terrible or you can never be an yeah. artist, that's not constructive, but going, hmm, like maybe that watercolor could be a bit more like it could do with some more finesse let's practice that that is much more helpful in building and um uplifting yes
0: so for more practicality I would say the more objective you can be the better the learning process so Mm -hmm. almost look at it as if um as if you're editing a friend's work or giving some feedback on a friend's work you would never say um Kaylee you are so bad you like you would never do that you'd never talk to a friend like that you'd say Kaylee you really tried hard today yeah. um but I can see there's this or this that maybe um m- maybe aren't there yet you know and so if if you treat it as if you're talking to a friend's work or critiquing someone else's work you'll be more gentle and more objective another thing is to take the emotion out of it by having some pre-existing questions you ask so you might say what is my favorite pe- part of this piece what is the piece i wish that i could have done differently um, what would i do more of or less of how does how did i feel after finishing this piece just a few like objective questions that aren't about your worth or whether it succeeded or not. Just things mm-hmm. that inform your learning, not inform the outcome. And if they're pre-written, you're less likely to react and and judge just like, oh, what do I think of this? Like it's so broad, it doesn't direct the thought. And so your, your thinking could easily drop into judgment at that point. And then the third thing you can do is leave some space between creating and evaluating. So as an example, Austin Cleon, who wrote the book, still like an artist and show your work. And another one that I can't remember the name of um, he he's great. It's there's a sort of how to's of creative thinking and creativity. And he says, when he writes things, he puts them in a drawer for at least a week to let them become strange. And then he edits them as a stranger. Mm. And that is, is really a great way of distancing yourself from how you felt during the process of creating, or maybe with those joy lenses on, or maybe with the disappointment, if it didn't kind of work out how you wanted, and then giving it some space and then looking at it with the purpose of learning from it rather than with the purpose of judging it.
1: Oh, these are really, really good. These are really good. So Tell me more about the inner critic. Is she or he? what is what is what do they look like for you? What are they telling you and your like your own personal inner critic and how do you deal with them?
0: Yeah, oh, this is another sketchbook one.
1: <laughs> I love it. Huh.
0: Um, I have my inner critic and my inner champion page and I was sketchnoting so I wrote down I wanted to practice it when I do these exercises they're often uh, a way to implement my creative thinking research so I'm going to have to break this down a little bit. Uh, Whenever I do lists I try to do at least 10 things so that I practice my divergent thinking or um, what I connect brain set is another way to call that so there's a neuroscientist who has a lot of information about creative process called Dr. Shelley Carson. She teaches at Harvard and she's written a book called Your Creative Brain. It's amazing. And one of the brain sets, so she's she sort of breaks down the creative process into seven different ways that our brain lights up during different phases of what we're doing. One of those is the connect brain set, and it helps us to light up the association part of our brain and draw lots of different connections. So when I'm trying to name something like my inner critic, I push myself to come up with more ideas than the first one or two and I use exercises like this as a good way to practice that so that when I'm doing a project like my own project that I want to do, it's easier for me to come up with lots of different options. So the ones that I came up with and with each one I drew like a little sketch note, we had the slug, the girl in the box on the shelf, the short-sighted fear-ridden Hannah, Simon says Hannah, my shadow, the danger radar, my backseat driver, my ostrich head in the sand, my uh, the prefect or the judge. And because I don't like to be too negative, I also had my inner champion. So when I recognized my inner critic and the one I chose was my backseat driver, uh-huh. So when they're telling me, I said the other left, idiot, um, <laughs> I I can call on my inner champion, my sparkly, I can do anything I put my mind to, Hannah Unicorn. <laughs> and she's like, it's okay, three lefts make a right. <laughs>
1: oh, I love her. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You see, I like that because I really like the idea of a slug. Oh <laughs> like yeah. you were saying not don't go for your first one and you're right. Like your backseat driver one is a much better analogy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, sometimes your first answer is the right answer. and it's not like it's not about having more judgment. Oh that's just my first answer. It's clearly wrong. I like to frame it in a, in a way of possibility that is that that could be the right answer let's double check
1: mm. you know? are you ever not know. optimistic yes okay yeah. good
0: optimism for me is very learned oh I can oh. I can fall really a lot into anxiety and into worry and I can I'm very susceptible of looking at my environment thinking things aren't working and um this is part of the reason I love creativity is because when you're in mild states of negative emotion, these sorts of things can really help get you out of it. This awareness that you build, these tools you have. So a lot of elements of creative thinking and creative play are rewarding for the brain. So when you think of 10 ideas, instead of one that connect brain set, also includes the reward circuit in your brain like you you've it puts you in a better mood just by doing it
1: Mm.
0: and Mm. so yeah I I think reframing and learning from things has been a really big gift for me because without that
1: I'm not optimistic (laughs) yeah and it's learned right yeah so great yeah so great You're just bashing all the like Expectations <laughs> out of the window Like You are oh man Okay I think I have a major crush on you And I want to talk to you forever But we need to wrap this up at some stage <laughs> And so I'm going to ask you What are your three tips For new artists or for people Maybe they're not new Maybe they just want to explore This way of thinking mm-hmm. Kind of to themselves yeah find that flow find that joy
0: yeah uh the first tip would be lower the stakes Mm. it's not about being picasso or an artist or making it it's about expression process when we embrace the process and we seek opportunities to learn and grow naturally things fall into place and So lowering the stakes and taking it bit by bit helps you stick in it for the long haul. I would say question your assumptions about everything you thought you knew about what it means to be an artist because they're almost all wrong. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to be that hard or that glamorous or that unattainable. And the third thing I would say is curiosity know know your own curiosity and follow it wherever it goes it's more reliable than intuition it will never lead you wrong and by doing that by learning about such wide and various things you will always have unique connections to make and a unique perspective
1: mm. that's wow that's good okay um for if (laughs) for the person who's listening who's like me and just like totally in awe of you how can they (laughs) spend more time with you
0: yeah cool um I'm relatively quite new to sharing myself in this way and I love 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 meeting other artists and helping you mm, recognize some of the blocks that are keeping you from your flow and joy because they should happen so if you are interested and you want to have a chat with me you can reach out to me through my website or my socials Uh, i think um, kaylee will have those in show notes and and we can set up a call otherwise you uh, i blog about these kind of thoughts at least once a week and i always have my own art there because i'm not a perfectionist anymore (laughs) (laughs) and so that's a good place to learn about some of these ideas too
1: okay great thank you so much for chatting today
0: oh my pleasure thanks so much for having me